The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Which is funny. We could just jump right into this. We're talking to Code Orange here. We got Jamie and uh, and Max. And Max, I've known you since. How old are you now? Twenty four. So I probably met you when you were like five years old, maybe yeah. or six years old, something like that. Yeah, super small. Yeah, all the way back. Do you remember those days? So I don't know. Like I don't remember when I first met you, but I remember going to like WWE and shit when I was like super young. I was probably like eight or nine back when that was. Yeah, you were going and watching you at all those shows and shit. So I remember back then. I also remember going to uh, Metallica with you when me and my sister were really young. And that was awesome. So I remember that. Did we go to McCartney as well, or, or was that just? Yeah, just we did. We did, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was funny. So obviously, your dad is Mike Portnoy, one of my best friends, and it's amazing to see your career and how you've blossomed as a drummer. And now, of course, obviously, you're the drummer in Code Orange, which is, is pretty huge. How did you end up, first and foremost, how did you end up in the band, Max? Well, Jamie just kind of hit me up. So I, I don't really know how he found out about me. I guess just through other people is my guess. Mm-hmm. I met you at like Jamie at uh, one of the shows. It was the uh, it was in New York. It was in like 2019 or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, we met briefly then, and then uh, he hit me up later on, and we connected like that way. And I drove out to Pittsburgh, and we like jammed and shit. So it was just kind of like through the internet. I called his dad first because I was like, I knew he had a band, and I was like, I don't want to disrespect the port noise. So I, I hit his dad, and I said, Hey, you think he would be, you know, offended if I was trying to puck him? And they were like, No, he loves it. So because I met his dad just through like shows and stuff, and then yeah, I met Max once as well. That's hilarious. It's like you, you called it. It's like, like calling some chick's dad for his, <laughs> her hand in marriage. He called Max's dad for his hand in drumming. But that's that's very respectful of you to do that. Thank you, man. I knew his dad. And like, I know that they're, his dad is deep in this biz, man. He's been working for a long time. And I didn't want to like step on whatever they all had going on. So I was like, all right, well, let's just at least. You know, we had some nice interactions. His dad's cool as shit, as you know, obviously. And right. it was always like kind of putting our shit out there before that, posting our stuff. And, and yeah, I'd always seen him just ripping on drums. And I guess I kind of figured in my head, oh, he's got his own thing. And then one day I was just like, man, I know this kid loves our band and he's the best kid I've seen. So sometimes it's like one plus one just equals two. Let's just go for the easy money. So hit him up and, 
Yeah, he was like, hey, he was like, call him, not me. I was like, hey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it works too. Like we just had a drummer change a few years ago, and like I always say, your band is only as good as your drummer. It's the most important part of any band. So to make that switch, it's a big one, but it's important if it's not clicking for you. And I was the drummer before, so I was replacing myself. <laughs> so oh. basically, yeah. <laughs> basically, I was like, he knew he knew that uh, it would be a little bit of uh, going through the ringer because when you're a drummer, singer, like all I hear is drums. I just hear like drums and singing. So, I mean, this kid's like so talented beyond anything that I could ever do on a technical level. So, it was easy, man. And he's just like a sponge for the stuff that maybe he is not apt to that we would do. And then, you know, he was teaching us so much about, you know, everything drum related because he's, he's unreal. So. so Max, when did you start drumming? Is it something you've done since, since you were a little kid? Did you always kind of think about that? Yeah, I, I had always just kind of mimicked my dad. Like I would watch him playing drums and I would just like be banging on shit, like watching like at the shows when I was like, two, three years old, like mm -hmm. all the way back. Just growing up, I was just always, you know, on tour with him, like watching him play. So I just kind of like did it. Like I didn't really think about it. Mm -hmm. And then when I got older, I was just like, I definitely want to do more of that shit. Cause just music in general, I was like, that's just seems like the way for me to go. Just what I wanted to do. So uh, naturally I just, cause I'd been always drumming and shit growing up. I just kind of gravitated towards that and like really dove into it and got lessons and shit like that. So when I was like five or six, I really started like getting lessons and shit. So like really young, but I don't even know how you can like really teach a five-year-old, but I was getting lessons. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you must well, obviously you're a natural. You probably just had it from, from birth. Right. But who's giving you lessons? This guy, uh, Todd Sheed from, uh, he's like right in, uh, where I kind of grew up here in Pennsylvania, like uh, Bethlehem area. He taught me for like over 10 years, probably like he's a super cool dude. Taught me everything from like rock and jazz and like latin to metal and all that shit mm. so it was really cool to be able to learn all that sort of stuff uh and then i just got really into the nerdy stuff later on like all the proggy polyrhythm shit like that and <laughs> started doing all that stuff but. the shit i know absolutely nothing about <laughs> right well yeah you come from two two separate worlds of drumming because code orange obviously started out much more punk and you know max like you mentioned doing stuff that that your dad is is known for and also too i know you were a big uh a joey jordison fan and, and that sort of style of drumming as well do you guys meet in the middle do you, do you have nerdy drum talks when you're on tour me and jamie yeah yeah i mean we talk about drums and shit uh, not like super nerdy i feel like neither of our neither of us are like super nerds about the actual like no. drumming shit but like we've talked about stuff because we talk about style you know yeah, like right like he has he can do things that i can never do and there are things that i do inherently like the way i learned how to drum was from kids who played at like gospel church and stuff mm. that combined with like punk hardcore shit but more on like the groovy side you know right. so, like, even like a joey jordison who's killer that was not even for me like something that was like a primary inspiration to me all that double kick and all like i never i barely ever even played double kick. you know like the last record we did i played i was struggling with the double kick so hard i was like i can't do this shit anymore i was like forget <laughs> this i'm moving on so he you know has taught me a lot about that side of it and like he's just an absorber because you know he's a bit he learned when he was a baby so mm. one of the first conversations we really had was him telling me like, i forget how it came up but we were like trying to watch all elite on the road and he's like, oh, yeah, that guy's like my uncle. <laughs> and I was just like, Chris Jericho is your, like, your fucking uncle. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, he's, you know how he is, real casual and quiet. He's like, 
yeah, like we go to see Paul McCartney together and the <laughs> me and like our other Pittsburgh trash wrestling fans for life are just sitting there like a god is your uncle. Like you're you're and you're just talking about he's like, Oh yeah, I might go to the show. I don't know. I don't know if I can make it. I'm like, hey, what the what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, it's killer. Just throw that in there. It's insane to be on here together. So. That's great. And you guys came and saw us in Pittsburgh at Jurgles, which was a, a cool venue. So it's great to be able to talk to you guys. But, but uh, Jamie, I wanted to ask you about being a drummer and a singer, because you mentioned that is a hard thing to do. And obviously in rock and roll, you're thinking of Don Henley. In heavy metal, there's a band called Exciter that had Dan Beeler, who was a, a singer and a drummer. But there's not a lot of guys in bands who are singing and drumming. So, A, why why were you doing that? And B, what made you decide that you wanted to just step out front and bring Max in as, to drum? Similarly to Max, like my I started my like musical path so young. Like I was in my first band, which was like you know a three piece kind of like punk band when I was like eleven. Mm. And then this band started when we were 14 and 15 years old. Wow. It was kind of one of those things that was inherent. Like I kind of was the one who brought the band together and I wrote the lyrics and such. So it was like, put a mic stand there. You know, we would have little singers come in, but it was like, it was just getting, we wanted to be able to kind of like operate by self. And these were the players that we had. It was just four of us. So we all sang a little bit and I sang the most and I just kind of, built that muscle it was totally not inspired really by we didn't know anything about any drumming singers or really anything about anything period like mm-hmm. apparently like get ourselves dressed in the morning to like mm-hmm. go to high school it just was like a natural thing and it kind of became in the underground world something that stuck out and then when we kind of pinpointed that it was like okay well now we have we have a car and we have something that we can play that's different and that's something like our band has always tried to do is figure out where we could stick out, mm-hmm. you know, for better and for worse. Where can we kind of shimmy ahead in the past? What can we say or do or even wear or present artistically? Or how can we push our video? Or what can we do to like peek out when there's 10 jillion bands and 10 million things flying at you all the time? So it kind of like became part of that. And then, you know, we started playing bigger shows. And I just remember like we played a show opening up for Slipknot. It was like the first or second thing we'd ever done like that in Europe. The music was perfect, but we just couldn't connect. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't connect with the crowd. And the barrier between me and them and like the voice that was leading it and them was so distant. And my guys up front were killing it. And they were like, we were almost all the singer. But yeah, it we had to, you know, we I just knew like, all right, we need to evolve. And we've always, we've never been scared to change. We've changed a lot of times. And yeah, we, we tried one other kid. It didn't work out. He didn't like being ambushed all day for 10 hour practices and all the shit we like to do like Max suffers through. Yeah. We pulled him in and it worked out. Yeah. I can, I can see that, you know, especially when you are, you know, connecting with the crowd is so important uh, as a band. And and then that's obviously the front man's job more than anything. So when you're doing that from behind a, a kit, 20 feet away from the edge of the stage, that would be quite difficult. It worked at a hardcore level and it worked at a certain point where, where I would talk a lot during the songs. I would call for crowd action during, in between all the lines. It was like, if you watch some of those old performances, it's like, and Max, that was the era that Max was into it, but it was like talking and it's, it's confusing. And that was part of the charm, but I feel like we just hit a wall. And also with the songwriting, the songs were getting more difficult. They were getting more intended to play. I felt that we were going to even get more. We were going to be able to perform less because they were more difficult. 
So we just needed more firepower. We needed somebody who could hang and really can, more importantly than anything, get into our workflow, which is often in the past been like really intense. It's like a lot of practicing and a lot of, it's a lot of regimen, you know, more than I think people who play in punk, hardcore metal bands are used to, you know, because I think a lot of bands treat it more like on a hobby level, which, which makes sense. Mm. But for us, it was kind of our 24 seven. So it felt like, uh, that was the missing ingredient that we needed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Max, when you um, got the invitation to join Code Orange, how was I know you were playing in Tala, which was much more of a, a, a proggier style of, of, of music. And this is much more like we mentioned, kind of the metalcore and punky. Is it difficult for you to, to make that switch or is it just another gig of drumming and you just have to focus on what you're doing? Like, how do you make the, the change in styles almost? Well, I, it was actually the band before Tala, which I think you saw, which was next to none. That was like the proggy one. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh, but Tala was doing like heavy stuff too. So it wasn't like the heavy shit wasn't like a big change for me. Plus even back in the day when I was doing all the prog stuff, I was still super into like heavy music. So I was always doing it. So it's not like it was kind of like my only thing that I was doing back then. I kind of always had it there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of the band for like years before I got hit up. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'd seen them live like multiple times and like forever was like my favorite album. I just listened to it like nonstop. So when, yeah, when I got the offer or whatever, I was super stoked about it. So like I drove down there and we just jammed and shit and I was just down to like do it because I loved and respected the band and the music and everything. So it wasn't like, I, like there was definitely like things that I'd never like tried to play. Like the, like Jamie was saying, the more like gospel feel sort of stuff like that they have in some of the songs so I had to like learn how to do some of that shit because I was never something I like really practiced or tried to do on my own. So there was like some learning and shit with things. But as far as like, for example, like underneath all like the really techie, like double bass metal shit, like that was really easy for me to just jump into. And also too, and, and both of you guys can attest to this, when you join a band, the playing is is important, but it really is a small element of being in a band because it's the, you know, the, the 22 and a half hours that you're together on the bus and on tour together, that chemistry is the hardest to get. So uh, Max, was it hard to come into a band of established, it's a gang uh, of people and you're the new guy. And Jamie, how do you accept a, a new guy into the band and make sure that he's the right fit for the personality standpoint of it? Well, I'm like the most shy person in the world. So that didn't help like at all. And they <laughs> right. were like already like best friends for like their whole life. So it was like, I, don't know, I mean, it's not like any different than how I am with other people. I'm just always quiet and shy. So it just takes me a long time before I can like really get along with people or be myself. So it just takes a bit for me, but I was always cool. Like I didn't like dislike them from the riff. Like <laughs> I felt like we were like into the same shit. So it was fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like the sweetest kid in the world. So it's pretty easy. We would have, we would try to rib his ass to get him a little bit out of his comfort shell, you know, but butterfly him a little bit, but he's just too sweet. You can't, you really can't be mad at the kid. I mean, I get mad at a lot of people. So, I mean, it's like, he's too, he's too, he was, he, he was butter, man. It was easy, man. He just wants to play. He wants to rock. He's a great performer. 
what else can you want? He's down to put the work in. We'll be done practicing. I'll say, hey, can you work on X, Y, Z? He'll stay there and do it. You know, he'll do that every single day. He wants it. He wants to play. Mm. You got to have somebody who wants it when you're in our position. We've always been kind of truly fighting from under. We've been doing this for a long time. We don't. We never knew anybody. We played probably an hour from Max's house five times before he even knew who we were. You know what I'm saying? So mm. we've hit every town over and over for a long time. It's a grind. And he has that same mentality in the room and on the stage. And he's just a natural performer. He gets up there. He gets nervous, but it just doesn't really break him. He's ready because he's born into the rock legacy, as you know. He's built for it. Do you uh, ask your dad advice, uh, Max, when it comes to stuff like this, since he has been in the business for so long uh, and has been through everything? It's feeling like it's at the point where, like, just over time, he's kind of, like, taught me and given me so much advice where, like, I feel like I don't even really need to ask anymore. He just kind of is always giving me advice on shit. Like, he's always just kind of been, like, a mentor in a way. So I've learned, like, a lot just growing up around him and shit. So, like... If there is shit that I need to know, like I'll I'll always ask him and shit. But I feel like for the most part, he's kind of given me a lot over the years already to the point where I kind of like know what's up, which is really helpful. I mean, like it's been nice to have someone like that who's been in it for so long that I mean, I, I grew up on the road with him. So like I just learned like so much shit just from that alone. You know, did you have any other uncles? <laughs> after all the guys i'm sure you've met <laughs> <laughs> my dad's like best friends with charlie benate too so right like and, and he was uh when he Crazy. was doing the pantera shit we were uh one of the festivals he hooked us up and like got us in like this six spot to watch the show and everything it was really cool that was fire oh he got us we were right up there for that pantera union <laughs> yeah that we were like we're living the good life now we gotta hang out with this guy we're sitting we're up front it was awesome. Yeah, it was sick. I actually have a group text with Charlie and and and, and Mike uh, that we talk pretty much every day. And I told him earlier, yeah, I'm having Max on the show, but he's I'm waiting for him to turn his damn camera on. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like my dad's like close friends are always like you, Charlie, and like Eddie Trunk. Those were always just like the ones that. <laughs> hey, come Trunk. Around. Yeah. To me, that's like a Mount Rushmore spot. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's like, you're holding out on the Eddie Trunk. What's wrong with Dude, you, man? Where's, where's my call, man? Come on, get us. In there. Dude, Chris, how would you how would you say like why do you think Max is so different from his dad in terms of literally people have told me even before I met his dad they're like he's just he's intense and outgoing and and Max is like so calm and relaxed and people always when they ask me about Max think that he's going to be like mini mini Mike it's interesting I think I think your sister's a lot more like your like your dad hey Max yeah. she's much more yeah. bubbly and outgoing and maybe because Max couldn't get a word in. When he's hanging out with Mike, maybe that's the reason why. Yeah, I don't know. I can, I I don't know why, but yeah. I just am not like that at all. I'm not built like that. But you you you're learning, and you're you're on the road with with this this massive band now in Code Orange. But Jamie, I was going to ask you. Uh, you mentioned that you guys started when you were 11 and 12, and in school, is it still the same members in the band for the most part from that time, or is yeah. it, or how many how many is there from that time frame? Everybody is still there from that time frame. There's been people that like in high school, like came and went. Once we really got going, it's been the same squad. We had a new drummer, our guitar player, Dom. He wasn't in the band for a while, but he went to high school with us. And, you know, went, he lived like down the street from me when we were little kids. So it's all the same schmucks. Except for Max. It's, it's so funny because the reason why I ask is I was in a band in high school, as I'm sure Max was too. And I was telling you, like, we were going to go to the top. 
man. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, were, we were called Scimitar and we were a three piece. And I was like, we are going to make it. And, and then you guys actually did. So it's cool to know that your high school friends and you actually set out to do this and, you, and you're doing it. Dude, it, it was awesome. for us. Like I look back and like the key to our journey has been honestly somewhat ignorance at this point is the hardest point ever because and you might be able to relate to this on like a wrestling level i don't know but i feel like we didn't know the scope of like what it meant to be something so every little step that we had every little like next okay there was five people now there's 20 people wow like people were playing at this art gallery we used to go to and oh we're getting open for this band first to six local like it felt like the biggest thing in the world. It was like everything was the Super Bowl because we didn't know anybody who was really doing it. It kept a good tunnel vision until we got to a certain point. And then once you get there and you're like, whoa, this is like a way bigger world than I realize, it almost gets harder, you know, because you're like, right. it's hard, especially nowadays, not to feel like you shouldn't be farther than you are or bigger than you are or more successful than you are. But like that initial kind of journey that kind of dingy VFW basement journey. It's just like every time we would do something, it just felt like we were on top of the world and it just felt like upward momentum and we didn't know about anything else. So it was easy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So you mentioned before, too, like playing with Slipknot and Tour. It seems like Slipknot's taken a real liking to you guys. And you did a tour with them, maybe a couple tours. How did that relationship come and... um are you going to be doing some more stuff with them as far as you know, or I met Corey just through him saying like nice stuff about us. when we started catching a little bit of traction, then we were on Roadrunner, and we were kind of signed by like the same person who was working their stuff and got connected. Corey's just the kind of guy. He likes to give people a run, give people a chance, give them a little platform, give them a little something, see what happens. So he's given us a couple of those. You know, we try obviously not to like lean on it too much because he's got, you know, a million bands that want to be in that spot at all times. Jay, who's not in the band anymore, was uh, also a good friend of ours and was a really big fan of our band. It was kind of like literally when we were working, we'd watch every single solitary set. He's just a huge music fan. So, yeah, I mean, Corey, I think, has his ear to the ground on stuff, as, as you probably know, and mm-hmm. is just good at piecing shit together, finding the young kids and putting them out would you think of uh of jay's drumming max i mean obviously huge shoes to fill with joey jordison like you mentioned he's not in slipknot now but did you watch him play would you think of his his uh interpretations of slipknot's music dude he was like spot on with all that shit which was awesome i mean yeah back when that happened when uh uh joey split with them yeah i wasn't sure like how it was gonna be but he like nailed all that shit and i felt like when he was doing his thing on the newer albums he was like doing like really creative stuff like Joey did. It wasn't just kind of like him trying to do what Joey did on all the new stuff. It felt like he was getting to like add in some creative, cool stuff. So he, he did great. And like, I was always, he was always super nice to like, even uh, before I was with code, he was uh, always like hitting me up and inviting me out and stuff. So he was a really cool dude and yeah, he killed it. So no click track. He's up there raw first slipknot show, <laughs> barely knows these guys. 
I mean, his entrance to the band is insane. He didn't even know what band he was trying out for when he went to go try. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's it's a crazy story. The guy who kind of signed us, the Roadrunner, and he's a very close friend who now runs the label that Code Orange is on as well. He set that whole thing up and kind of got Jay that tryout and wasn't able to like tell him anything. I think Jay maybe got like a little bit of an inkling from the story that I heard. But, you know, they just run it wrong, man. He's up there in a freaking arenas and sheds and stadiums with no click, no nothing. Wow. Just back there running the tempos of the band. They put a tremendous amount of pressure on their drummers. So I feel like he did an incredible job. Do you use the click in uh, Code Orange? In and out. It's like a mix. Yeah. Did you have that before you joined the band? Were you used to playing the clicks, Max? Uh, not live. No, I, I in Tala we don't use a click. We just do everything raw. Obviously, in the studio and shit, I of course play with clicks and stuff. So it wasn't like it wasn't hard for me. Like if anything, it makes it easier because when it's like not my music that I'm stepping into, it's easy to just have the tempos and shit there because right. I can just it's just there then, and like I don't have to like act like because when your adrenaline's going, you it's it's happened before like it ends up being like a lot faster than you think it actually is sure. so when it's not your music it's easier when there's a click going so there was like a mix of that i had to get used to going in and out of a click mid-set you know what i mean right because there'd be some points too where it mess with your brain where like you get to a song that's off click and you're playing and you're like halfway through and then you like forget that this song is like off click and you're like what happened to the click did something get <laughs> right. <up?"> yeah <laughs> but yeah no it's fine it, it wasn't that hard i actually enjoy playing with the click to certain songs and then other ones it makes more sense to just not even have one on there because there's so much just going on with it sure he used to have he used to wear a mask and when there would be like click problems or he would perceive there would be one i would just see his eyes in the mask like, <laughs> 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 the one thing i think that's in i don't know max you you tell me but i think it's helpful that we're both drummers in the sense that like i know what like what you just described about the adrenaline and like the speed i literally know exactly what you mean to the core so strongly that we can like talk about stuff like that and like make a map of what to do in certain situations like all right if this happens do this that only me and him really kind of get yeah because it's like we're we're drummers so we know what goes on back there and like for instance if the bass drum stops i know the pedals stop. you right. know i know that the four tom fell down i know the whole deal so it's like <laughs> uh, we can look at each other and he'll he'll usually just look at me like we'll figure it out so. yeah why why were you wearing a mask i remember uh seeing that Cause I wasn't really like stepping in as a member right away. Oh. So they were still kind of like feeling things out and same with me and stuff. So it, uh, yeah, it was fine. It was like they the guy before me also was wearing a mask and stuff. It's just, it makes sense. Cause I've been in bands where we bring people in and then you want to try it out. You don't want to just like initially just be like, yeah, you're in the band before you sure. even like play with them. So it was a good way to just kind of do that. We were able to like bake it, bake it into kind of like the lore visually of the band and stuff. And, and I just felt like, one, we had to give the kid a run and see sure. two weeks in he wanted to even do this shit. You know, and two, another little part of it is that I didn't really want to use, not acting like fucking Max is fucking Brad Pitt, but I didn't want to like use his like name and this such, you know, for, for our shit. Like, especially off the bat, it's like, I didn't put him in the bank of any of that. It really didn't mean shit to me at all. You know, so I thought the best way to represent that was you know, one, I love mystery in bands. I think that that element is kind of like, especially in rock music, is, you know, kind of drifted away because of like the, the technological world we live in. So I thought, okay, that's cool. And then on the other hand, it's like, let's just let him play drums and then like have him grow into 
being like really a part of the band. But I mean, I knew to an extent I really wanted him to be a part of the band just because of his personality. That's really like more what mattered to me. He's just, just to be around him is nice. You you know how it is being around some of these fucking people, man. It's oh, like you, you can't. Dude, it's like, and I'm sure you're good at like shutting down and staying in your zone. But like, we've only kind of been around the same people, so it's been a challenge at times. Like bringing somebody into that dynamic. But once I saw how he fit into the dynamic, it was like be crazy not to put him in the situation, you know. So I think we, it, it he came out of the the, the chrysalis. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You mentioned that you were uh, a big wrestling fan, and I had forgotten that you did the theme song for Bray Wyatt. Yeah. You guys have played at NXT before. Talk about kind of the WWE connection, and let's start with how you ended up performing in NXT a few years ago. I've been a wrestling fan my whole life. I'm not on like a passive level. It's a primary, as Matt knows, primary uh, <laughs> point of my existence. So, yeah, I mean, it was always a goal of ours to try to get in the door somehow. You know, we always knew guys working. Like, the wrestler Brody King, who you work with, is, like, one of yep. my closest friends in music that we knew far before wrestling. Oh, cool. There's uh, there's a lot of guys we've known just, like, wrestling independently and such. But long story short, we wanted to – our label was, like, pitching our song as, like, the theme for NXT. They bid on it. And then we kind of push, like, tell them we're literally down to do anything. Like, we, we don't care what the scenario is. We will do anything. And so literally, I think it was two days before the show, they're like, can you guys perform? And we're like, okay, well, what does that entail? And they're kind of like, I don't know. So we just figured it all out on the fly. And that was also no click or anything, which they were kind of like shaky about because if literally I just stopped playing, like the entrance to the show would just stop. I mean, there was like no like, contingency plan for how it would work. So we did those performances and then got to meet Triple H was insane. And he's really into metal and stuff too. I mean, mm -hmm. he showed up. We did this practice the night before at like midnight. The night before their pay-per-view and this tiny little like dingy Brooklyn practice spot. And he shows up. I mean, he just showed up and just stood there and watched us practice these songs and like couldn't have been cooler about it. So it was, it was an amazing experience. And then that, yeah, that, kind of didn't quite parlay into the Bray Wyatt thing. The Bray thing was more just guerrilla action on my part. He's into music. He's he's way deeper into music than I think people even know. He knows about a lot of shit. He'll send me, he would send me like ministry B-sides that I didn't even like know about. And like, like he was deep into heavy music and, and electronic leaning industrial music. So yeah, he followed us on Twitter and I just shot him a message. I knew that he was off TV and I kind of tried to play a little bit like dumbass and not act like oh I'm this giant fan because I feel like that's kind of like a repellent but I was just kind of like hey like I see you haven't been there for a while like if you're planning on coming back doing something different we are the ones 100% there's nobody that can do it the way that we can do it and he gave me his number and we talked and that was how we did the first theme theme which was like kind of supposed to be 
started as its own thing and then it turned into a, like more of a half hybrid cover of his previous song, which was like, right. you know, the cool. And so he, uh, yeah, that was for the fiend character. And then, yeah, he got all that happened. He got let go. We stayed really close friends. He just told me like, this was like years ago at this point, but uh, like uh, close to when he was let go, we should do a song, like regardless of where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do. So we worked on it for a long time. And man, like, I don't know how much of those kind of stories he would want told, but he is a true, like he goes in with them and he says, this is what we're going to do. Right. And it is hard. And we were on the receiving end of some of that. hard. I think that, you know, it maybe didn't put us in the greatest light because we kind of made this song in the shadows with him. And when he came back, he was kind of like, this is the song. Like, this is what we're doing. About an hour before he came out on uh, <laughs> SmackDown or whatever, I was told it was the song. So, and it was actually, it was absolutely awesome. So, I mean, it was, he made a lot of our wrestling dreams come true. And the WWE people in general have like three that's awesome. And, just been really cool about mostly everything, you know. Obviously, you're probably uh, blown away when you heard that he had passed. Sounds like you guys were were, were friends. One hundred percent. I mean, we were we definitely at the end were tight. I mean, we he would we would I don't know we talk on the phone all the time about stuff. He's just a super creative guy. I yeah, think he's like way more interesting and creative than people know or even you know hyperbole can state. I think the the part of the whole thing he was the most interested in was the character elements and like what could be done that was different. And he had so many cool ideas that, you know, don't really get out there or get over the line or whatever. I think he's just was ingenious when it came to that stuff. And, and not only that, what I found was like, he was so humble. He would ask me like, what do you, what do you think would be cool essentially? And it's like, why the fuck are you asking me? I'm, I'm nobody from nowhere, but he was just that kind of person. He wanted to learn. He wanted input. He wanted to keep building the monster from people that he thought, you know, had cool creative input and were into similar things, which we were. And he gave us a ton of leeway. He just let us kind of, even with the entrance to that song, I remember I wrote him this whole thing because it was like, you know, it was just, I don't know if you've heard the song, but it's just like this kind of singular piano note that like creeps up from the back. Yeah. And what, what we were trying to figure out was like, okay, how do we do like a wrestling stinger, like something that's really memorable? But like, how do we do the inverse of that? So it was like Michael Myers. It's like, it comes from really far away. So imagine you're in the arena and you just hear that little piano note, like almost like you can barely even hear it. You're almost like wondering if it's even there. Mm -hmm. And then it creeps up and creeps up. He was just creative, man. Awesome. And the greatest guy ever. So yeah, it really sucks. It still really hurt. Really sucks to be honest. It's, it's brutal. Yeah, it was such a, a shock for everybody, which, like you said, it did suck. But um, but it's a great song, and it's cool you got to collaborate with him. And you also got to collaborate with another legend. We're talking about the new record, The Above, with Steve Albini. Let's talk about this record, because it's interesting the way that you guys recorded it and kind of put it together. How was it working with, with, with Steve Albini? It was great, man. He's just like, he considers himself like a... Uh, handyman, a tool man. He's not there to really produce or shape. He's there to get sounds and take what you have ready to give them and record it the best way possible. So for a band like us who kind of have, you know, bulletin boards and notebooks and a lot of plans on what we want to do, that was kind of perfect. It was like, we just need somebody to capture this the right way. And he was a legend. I mean, it was, it was great. He's just, he's just like worker, right? He's not thinking about anything but the next day of work. 
And how did you record the record? Like, did you, were you all in the same room? Yeah. So what we did is we had, we kind of do an extensive like demoing period where we make ourselves like really intricate demos that pretty much have like all of the main tracks of what the songs are going to be, mm. you know, cause they incorporate a mixture of band and electronics and, you know, even sometimes hip hop style production, but a goal of ours is to really get that raw soul of like a rock band. So yeah, we recorded the primary band stuff in like two weeks all in the same room. Max took like more than half of the songs. I played a couple of the songs on drums and we just banged it all together. And then Shane and I, my producing partner from the band, took it and just like worked on it for months and months pretty much. And that's how it works. How was that for you, Max? I mean, was that was the first album you did with code orange yeah that was the that was the first recording of any kind i did with them so that was cool yeah yeah it was just it was fun to just do like a live thing like that where everyone's just kind of playing together and you're just getting the recordings that way i I definitely dig doing like raw stuff like that as opposed to just kind of just being alone and just doing it you know sure it's cool to have like the whole vibe of everyone there so it was fun yeah it was and there was a lot of work like pre-production and stuff already like put into it so it wasn't like we were just going in kind of winging it like i kind of knew what the f- to be doing and everything it was all like fleshed out we knew like what was up so it was really it was really easy and like we were able to just get what we wanted so it was awesome how can you do that like record with everybody in the same room just from a from a sonic level like it seems like the drums would kind of overpower everything right exact precisely that's kind of why you go to steve albini i mean he's like the room recording guy you know what i mean like yeah. in utero nirvana and like the Pixies, Where's My Mind, you know, you think of those room drum sounds and like, you think of like sounds you don't really get now, especially with the stuff we're pulling from. Like our band really pulls from like more like 90s leaning, like a little bit grungy, you know, a little bit industrial. So a lot of those records and drum samples and stuff are made with like room cracking snares and, you know, like stud kicks. And he just, that's what he is. You know, he wears like, Max, don't you wear a fucking like janitor's suit or whatever? Yeah, he was in like a fucking like jumpsuit or whatever the whole entire time, like the same one every day. I had to ask him because that's just how I am. I was like, brother, why are you wearing a fucking garbage suit right now? And he's just like, I'm a handyman. I come in and do my work. (laughs) He's method, man. (laughs) He's he's gimmick. He has a fucking gimmick. I mean, it's great. So I, I loved it. I mean, he carves it all out, man. He has like awesome mics. He has a room that he like built partially by him with like two other guys deep in Chicago that's like specifically made for this sort of thing. There's a slide door. So to literally answer like what you were saying, the drums are here. There's a slide door in between and the bands on the other side, but we can all see each other. So that's how he isolates like the drum sound. Gotcha. How does like Fozzie do it? Is it more like, is Fozzie recording live drums or sometimes more programmed drums? Or like what's the drum vibe with, with the Fozzie stuff? combination of the two it's mostly live but but it's in the studio by himself right so yeah you yeah. do the demo then you do the drums first then you build on top of that we've never recorded all in the same room together okay yeah that we hadn't either until this one so it was a fresh it was kind of a fresh deal i guess it's in the same room but he kind of has a split so he kind of gets the best of both worlds we can see each other talk to each other but he can isolate a little bit was was he a storyteller was he the type of guy's like well when i had cobain in here you're not gonna believe it was he max not really. I think you would have to kind of pry it out of him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wouldn't be just kind of pulling out stories. But yeah, I, I know. I remember sitting there and like Dom would be like asking him stuff and then he would, he would get him going after that. But he gets going. Yeah. You'd have to initiate it. He makes everybody coffees all the time. <laughs> they're called like fluffy coffees and they're like, they're just like a delicious, like sugary coffee drink. And he'll just make like <laughs> each one individually. 
but he'll just peace out for like an hour and a half and just make like everybody like a like a bendy back. Am I wrong? Yeah, there's a lot of coffee breaks happening. Like I just disappearing to grab coffee. I live yeah. for it. I can't live without it. So it was great. See, but I, I love those types of stories because every producer is different. And and you and you know you you work with Nick Ruskalenis as well, right? Yes. Some producers are very hands-on. Some are, you know, given the Ruben, just here's a vibe. And, and so I like hearing the stories about Albini walking in with his gimmick and his and his coffee-making skills. Yeah, dude, he is a walking gimmick. I love him, man. He's great. How was it working with, with Nick? Obviously, Nick had done a lot of stuff with Rush and, and a lot of a lot of great bands as well on that end. It was great. He's, a, he's an excellent guy. I mean, the record that we brought to him is like really dense, like almost kind of sci-fi and technological and incorporated a lot of newer technology in some ways in terms of what we were doing electronically. So that was a challenge at times, but he brought in a Chris Ferrena, who was the drummer and programmer for Nine Inch Nails. Oh, right. Yeah. So he came in and worked with us on that side. So it was a, it was a cool combo. I think though that like, it's kind of what led to us wanting to kind of self-produce, not that he didn't do an amazing job, which he did. And we learned his tongue, but I felt there was time where we were kind of frustrating the process where it's like, we wanted to do things really specifically he liked what we wanted to do, but we wanted to do it in a certain way. And it was kind of like, we should just do it. You know what I mean? Like, we just need to stop mm. annoying people and just do it on our own. But no, he's great, man. He's a legend and he knows how to make great songs. And I think in a different project, we could have even like incorporated and used like his talent more because he's definitely taught us a lot. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about being on the road uh, and touring. How do you guys do it? Is it a bus? Is it a van? Private jet? Yeah, it's a private jet mostly, just uh, <laughs> me and Matt. And then everybody else rides just in like a little car because we're the top guys. So we ride the jet bus. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. The rest of them driving a Subaru. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all Subaru. But yeah, we, uh, we have done it all. We still do it all. Depends on the tour. We've done bus multiple times. We've done bandwagon, which is like the smaller bus, kind of like RV deal that's 10 times cheaper. But when you sleep, your head smacks against the top of your bunk and you wake <laughs> up with like the sweats of like you were on the top bunk max so you were scared as shit every day every night dude and that top bunk i was in was like half the size of all the other bunks it was like super small but <laughs> well, you are half the damn size. Yeah. <laughs> you had to get in there we got some big boys you had to get in there but no literally you he would wake up and he would just be like dude i like halfway fell out of my bunk because it's like a box truck that has no like yeah it just goes all night it's so scary but yeah and then we've done van too so we we started off like doing van we used to tour in a truck when we were teenagers i mean mm -hmm. we did van for years and years and years so it depends how we can make a little bit of bread like what you know what i'm saying that's the thing right yeah yeah so it, it depends on the situation i mean that's the most important thing yeah you want to get to a point where you're actually making money on these tours and not just doing it to build your name right it's hard though isn't it yeah. The music economy, people yeah. have no clue. It's brutal. If you want to do anything cool, every, especially now out of COVID, every tech, every sound guy literally wants $9 million to do their life, which respect to them. Like they deserve the money, but it's hard, man, to make those budgets. 
turn green, mm-hmm. it's a grind. You know, I'm sure it's, it's tough. Well, let's talk about that. And Code Orange, I know you guys have been around for 10 years now, but still a, a relatively new band. You know, I'm sure it's even hard when you're in Metallica or Slipknot or, or Iron Maiden or whatever it may be. Fozzie, we're able to do it because we have a business model that we've just kind of worked on. And like, we, we really can't afford to ever open for anybody. We're going to have to do it all on our own. Just yeah. keeps the budget down, but more importantly, make them as much money as you can. Totally. How is how is it for Code Orange to be able to to do that on on a level where you're going to be able to make a living off it? It's similar. I mean, a lot of times we don't. Like, I'm just going to be real. A lot of times we barely break even. I mean, even at, yeah. especially doing support tours and things like that. There's been many tours where we didn't break even. There's been tours where we make some money. We never make a lot of money, but we haven't really like hit that crest. Even when you do hit that point, like you said. I've seen the Slipknot guys talk about in the media, like that they make a lot less than people think. And, and people will say, oh, you, but it's probably true. That's not to say they're not doing it. I was, I kind of wanted to ask you even like when it comes to like wrestling travel, do they like pay for anything or do you pay for it? So for WWE, they would just pay for your plane ticket. Okay. And then when you land in the town, you got to rent your own car and then get your own hotel room. Okay. AW. All that's taken care of. It's much more of a NFL type of vibe because our because my boss owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was it was never a, a contention. He pays for everybody's rooms, everybody's cars to and from the venue, et cetera, et cetera. So the, those are kind of the differences between those two companies. That is so like that's how it should be. But as you know, music is like the former, right? And you hire somebody who helps you figure those things out, but it's all your money. It's yep. all coming out of your payday. There's no like side payday where the expenses come out of it's all you get the pot and then the pot is split and split and split right so it's very hard to make money it's been a struggle for us i'm sure max knows with tala as well it's a grind man even when you're doing well even when people think you're doing real well. sometimes maybe you're not maybe people in that town don't buy like a ton of merch or maybe the shirts all of a sudden cost 16 like they tell you after the toro actually the shirts were 20 dollars a piece the black shirt <laughs> And you're like, what? Yeah. You're like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like that. There, there's definitely a similarity when it, uh, wrestling wise, when it comes to like guys working independence and stuff like that from guys that I build with like, it's a good place to learn the skill. Just like music, you learn, okay, a shirt costs X amount. If you do just a white print on a black shirt, it's X. Yeah. Versus if you want to do your actual dream design, it's going to cost. Forty-seven dollars. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You learn that quite a bit. It's like I got this idea, and the front's this, and the back's that, and it's going to be amazing. It's like, yeah, it's going to cost a lot of money for the four-color print and all the print on the back. And it's like, what? Exactly. And dude, like that is where I think wrestling and music intersect in a way that other things don't. Do actors sell shirts with their, their self on it and, and have to go figure out how much they no. have, even on a small? Nope. Even like football players, or even like. On smaller levels, these things, it's not a thing. But it's like we're the ones pouring around with the merch and putting it together and figuring out what the next thing is. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've always seen that kinship. But, yeah, it's a grind to make money. It feels impossible at some points. And the more it goes on, like, the music economy is really getting worse. Much worse for the artist. And once again, it's harder. And we'll talk some positive stuff in a second. But it's harder when you're opening for someone like we. Uh, I'm looking at a poster right now. We opened for Iron Maiden and in a stadium in Los Angeles. There was thirty thousand people there, and we sold like seven hundred dollars yep. dollars in merch. Yep. No one's going to the Iron Maiden show to buy a Fozzie shirt. They went, and then Maiden probably did two million dollars in merch. But that's the difference. Just to explain to people, like, well, why, why, it'd be great to open for Iron Maiden. Sure, it would. It'd be amazing. But that's the price you pay. There's give and take. You're playing in front of thirty thousand, but 
your merch levels are very, very low, which makes it harder to, to exist. Was it like that with Slipknot too? Well, let me say real quick, 700 is pretty damn good in that scenario, <laughs> honestly. That's point zero seven 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 cents a person. Dude, I've hit some like $80 nights in those scenarios before. It's like, it's one of the darkest things you can experience. It's like, there's times where we've done those kind of gigs and we've killed it and we've done amazing. And there's times where we've done them and like, I'm like, Joe, our bass player, who ends up doing with all of this shit, which is insane. I'm like, well, how's the murder? I had to be good, right? He's like, oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> so... <laughs> The Slipknot shows, the later you play, the better you do. So a lot of times when we would play, we would be playing to the one we did coming out of COVID that was especially tough. We'd be playing to like sometimes a one-eighth full room. So you ain't going to do well because you're going to get one-eighth on the one-eighth. Yeah. But then we play later on and be all the people, we would, we would kill it. So it depends. How was that for you, Max, touring with Slipknot just from a, a professional level? Yeah, it was sick. Obviously, like they're my favorite band growing up and shit. So it was awesome like to have that be the first tour I did with code. It was crazy. It did suck though, just cause it was right out of COVID. So like we couldn't even really like do anything. It was just, it wasn't like a normal tour. We were all just so like isolated from everything. And like, it, it was Get just, in trouble. Yeah. It wasn't like logistically like the, the easiest of tours and stuff, but it was still sick to do that. And like, I got to still see them a couple nights, which was really cool. How did you get in trouble, Jamie? He's talking PR. He, he was PR trained. Like when he was born, he'll say <laughs> we were getting in trouble left and right just for being around, just for even existing. <laughs> yeah. I would walk outside and I'm like, we're, what's going on? Somebody come pick me up and I'll be in trouble. I don't know why I was in trouble. That's all. Like, we were, we don't really like me and Max and Joe and don't even drink or anything, you know? So mm. like we, I don't drink, like we, we don't really party. We hang out here. We like to have fun, but it wasn't their fault at all. They were, their camp was just trying to figure out the COVID shit. So it's like you're on tour with Slipknot and Max, tell me if I'm lying. You can't even barely see Slipknot because no. you can barely even see them play. Yeah. Because they'll be like, you could, you can stand here and it's like, you can look through this keyhole to like see one of them from like the side. And they're also like, oh, also because it's COVID, you can't go in the crowd and watch any of the show. Wow. So it's like, you can't watch the show out there. You can't watch the show on the side. We're in a bandwagon, so we have nowhere to be. We're all changing next to each other, like like literally covered <laughs> yeah. and soaked wet. So yeah, we, we just have absolutely nowhere to be, nowhere to go and nowhere to turn, but that's what that, it is what it is. I would like to see more of it. We got to see some shit every now and again, but yeah. It was hard coming out of COVID too. I remember we played in Sturgis and there's like, you know, 30,000 people watching, but we're not allowed to do anything. You have to walk straight from whatever we were on. Maybe it was a bus. I think we we're on tour or something right from the bus to the stage, play the show back to the bus. It's like, but I want to, there's a chick in a bikini selling beer. Like, nope, nope, nope. Nope. Like, Nope. Well, what's the fucking point of being on tour then? This sucks. Dude, and me, I want to get in the crowd and like bleed. And I'm not allowed to do like anything. You know what I mean? So I'm just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're playing and I'm like, mm. they're seeing like neutered code orange. It's like, this shit sucks. But <laughs> you did, we did what we had to do. You know, it was what it was. How about when you were touring with Corn? That's another huge tour to get on as well. That was great. They sang Max Happy Birthday, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. They <laughs> brought me a cake and then I stuck it in the overhead mic by accident. Oh, didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was cool though. That one was that was definitely later on after the COVID thing. So yeah, was, now we're back in business again, right? Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. Like I, they were all just hanging out like all the time. They would like stop you in the hallway and just like talk for like thirty minutes. It was awesome. They were really cool dudes. That's what you want. 
That's what you want. You know? well, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing too. Like sometimes you tour with bands and you never see them because they're doing their thing. You're doing, I always try and spend some time with the, 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 the guys or the girls opening for us. Cause that's what you want. You don't want it to be like, Oh yeah, they're just sequestered in their ivory tower and just come out for the show and don't say anything. You know, that, that that's never very cool. When we played some shows with system of a down, we did like three, I swear to God, you wouldn't see those motherfuckers there. By the way, when you meet them, they're super nice, sweet guys. They really are. But yeah. you wouldn't see them all day. And literally like, <laughs> It would just be like a crowd of like military people. You don't even, you're like, how is he, how is Surge going to like go from the car into the military people? And you just see Surge just come up like, he would just like appear. <laughs> I'm like, what, what type of technology is this motherfucker working with? He hit the stage. You want to say what's up to Surge more than anything in your life? Like for me, I try not to, I really try to make an effort not to like bother. Like I'm not going to go up to like Jonathan Davis and just be like, What's up, man? You know, it's like if he wants to, if he gives the vibe, I'll go for it because I would love to talk to him, but I don't want to like punish him. You know, it's like, it's, it's a, in music, it's like not something that you really do. I feel like you can't just really like go up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sturgeon, those boys would just show up. They would be just levitate onto the stage and they would just be there and it would just be Darren. And then it would just be a top hat would be all that was left and he would be disappeared. <laughs> so that was it, you know? <laughs> last few things here as we start to wind down uh you guys have done a lot of cool tours like we said and a lot of festivals has there been any moments especially for you max just going on the road at this point with these guys where you met somebody that you always looked up to or maybe someone's watching your gig and giving you guys some uh feedback i mean a, a brush with greatness for you guys that's a good question i'm trying to think of if there's anyone that i met that it, like i was super stoked on i mean like i already kind of knew all the guys in corn it was just really cool, like to have them just constantly like want to just like hang out and talk and shit. Like that was like, mm. like I'd, I'd like talk to like a couple of them. Like Ray, I've always talked to on like Instagram and shit, and like texted with them. Great drummer. It was just cool to like actually like hang out on that tour and shit, which was really cool. Which I was like hoping we could do more with like when we were doing the Slipknot thing with like Jay, but like it was just the COVID shit just couldn't yeah that happen. So I mean, that tour was just a lot of fun for me, just to be able to like actually hang with people again after doing all that shit before it. How about you, Jamie? I cared more about meeting you than any of these music people. I'll tell you that. <laughs> when I met you at Fozzie, I was like, every, every music guy I've ever met, I'm just like, I think especially rock guys and metal guys, I love meeting them and learning from them. But I feel like we have a mutual thing where it's like, I understand what you do. Mm -hmm. And maybe we do different things, but I understand it. And I feel like we're playing the same sport. So for me, it's meeting people that do things where I'm like, I can't like wrap my head all the way around it. You know what I'm saying? So that's right. definitely more of a thing for me. But yeah, I mean, we've been able to meet so many killer rockers, of course, from Corey and he was saying Corey and we were system and the producers we've met with Deftones, we did runs with them and we had Billy Corgan is on our song and we've become good friends. I just been able to like yeah, that's great, yeah. become friends with him is insane. You know, when you look at it from the outside, but like on the music level, it's like, I feel like we all, speak the same language and know the same stuff. And, you know, it's definitely when I meet people like, like for instance, like I, I've been training like jujitsu for eight, nine years. When I meet one of those guys, like one of the top guys there, I'm kind of like, whoa, because I like, I can't even imagine like doing that. You know, there's not really any like rock thing that I can't imagine doing. Like I feel like I'm supposed to do that. So I feel like there's guys who have amazing parts who I love to learn from know way more than i do but it's less of like maybe like a starstruck feeling because it's like 
I have an understanding of it. Last question for you. What's your favorite song on the new record? And what's your favorite song to play live? Why don't you start, Max? I, I guess probably like a tie between I Fly and The Game are probably like my two favorites. One's like the more rock and the other one's like the heavier one. But okay. those are the two that I kind of always think about as like my favorites from the album. And live, In Fear is probably my favorite song to play live. That's just, that one always is the most fun for me. That's always the highlight of the set. Got it. That's a killer shout live. Yeah, I'll go with that song too. I love playing that song. Um, In Fear, I love playing our song Out for Blood live. That one rocks live. Uh, the album, it's hard for me to pick because it's, it's so ingrained and in I was working on it for so long that it's almost like I love, I love every piece of it. You know what I mean? It's one of those type of deals. But those are great shouts. I love the song. We have like a super like rock leaning song I love called Circle Through that almost is like a little bit Nirvana-ish or something, but like a little more dreamy. Oh, we have this crazy kind of almost hip hop meets crazy buggy metallic psychotic David Fincher <laughs> type song that's called a drone hopping out of the house. I love that. I mean, I love it all, but it's my shit. So I'm a little bit the, yeah, of course. They're all your babies, right? Well, yeah. Take Shape is a killer song. That's the one with Billy Corgan. I, I dig that one the most for sure. Thank you, man. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You got to rock with us, man. We got to do the gig. Let's we have do to it. do the Code Orange Fozzy gig. It's on my fucking list. Please. Let's go. <laughs> Uncle Chris <laughs> comes go. to town. That would be sick. That would be awesome. I'm like watching, <laughs> I'm at the time watching you with like, Thumbtacks in your head, like playing with Nick Gage. He's like, oh, that's my uncle. True story. I'm quite the role model. (laughs) Dudes, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, dude. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.